Well, it's good to be here, and uh, I don't know how many times it is that we have been here, I think five or so times to the Gold Coast. Um, we had Brad um, and, and Farah on our eldership in Dubai. I'm from Zimbabwe. Um, I don't have an accent at all. <laughs> you all have an accent. <clears throat> but um, we, I, I hail from the, the nation of Zimbabwe. I was born there, lived uh, for my first 20, first 21 years, and then the, much of the rest of the time in South Africa is where I met my beautiful wife, Charmaine, and we have our 35th wedding anniversary next week, week, week in a bit. So 35 years, yay God, and uh, we have two incredible sons, um, the one is living in Perth, which gives us added incentive to come down to uh, your part of the world. And uh, he's married an Australian lady, and they've given us two beautiful grandkids. So we saw them briefly on the way in, and we'll see them briefly on the way back to Dubai as well. So we're in Dubai, uh, planted a church there 17 years ago, 2001, and uh, church is really going so well. We handed it over five years ago to a spiritual son of mine, um, and they've, uh, he's, he and his wife are doing an incredible job. They took over the eldership team. They've multiplied the, the, the church into four different sites now. One of them is going to become a, a church, self, uh, kind of standing church in one of the other emirates in, du, in uh, the UAE. We're really excited about that. And, uh, we, yeah, we just, we, we, we love this nation of Australia. I've been, we've been coming here since, ah, oh, I, I can't even remember when. Probably 25 times we've come to Australia. Um, been to much of the nation. I haven't been anywhere near the desert, because we come from the desert. But, um, we have the great privilege of traveling. We have for many decades actually traveling much of the world, preaching this incredible gospel and seeing churches planted all over the world. So I just was two weeks ago, three weeks ago in Cambodia for the first time in Phnom Penh with a bunch of church planters. I was asked to go and speak with them and, and uh, kind of help them a little bit. So I was incredibly encouraged to see what God is doing in, in Cambodia. And uh, I was saying to someone, maybe Melanidas last night, I can't remember, but uh, one of the church planners, he's a first-generation, in fact, all of the church planners that, that we met were all first-generation Christians out of Buddhism. And uh, it's amazing what God has done. And uh, he said to me that the, the gospel, the Protestant gospel, hadn't reached Cambodia until 1923. And uh, when he told them that, it was kind of like a dagger in my heart. And I thought, why did it take 1923 years for the church to reach the church and the preaching of the gospel as we know it to reach Cambodia? That's the mandate was 2000 is 2000 years old. What has the church been doing for 2000 years? And uh, so I want to say to the church in Australia that it's, we're excited for you, for this nation, what God wants to do. God's done incredible things, but he wants to do a whole lot more. 
Amen. Amen means you agree. So don't say it if you don't. Amen. God has got so much He wants to do in the nations and through you. And uh, so it's dangerous being around us. Because <laughs> we, we believe the Word of God. We take it literally. God has spoken so many incredible things to us and we need to just do it. I've, I've, I've done that from the, from the time I got saved. I read it, I believed it, and so let's just do it. And God has been so incredibly faithful to honor his word. But, um, and I want to speak a little bit tonight around, um, something that's gripped my heart probably, uh, six months ago. And I heard this phrase, I've, I've never, I think I've never heard it in my life before, but I heard it twice in a week. And when that happens, I, I, my ears prick up, uh, all the more. And, uh, so I've called this, uh, title of this is what I want to speak about tonight, uh, Image Bearers. And um, I think we have to redeem Bible language. Uh, some language in Scripture doesn't seem to fit our culture, so we're actually very quick to change it. I think a whole bunch of the time we actually just need to redeem it, just to tell, teach again what it actually means. But in this situation... I think image bearers just makes a whole lot more sense than disciple does. And I'm not changing the Bible. Relax. But I think it's descriptive. As I heard it, I read it actually, and two days later I was in a conversation with someone. He's a, he was a Muslim who'd been converted, now an incredible evangelist and church planter into the Muslim world. And he's an Arab, born-again believer, sitting with a Jewish a guy, pastor, two pastors, one an Arab, ex-Muslim, sitting with a Christian Jew. And that's a miracle, right there, in Dubai. I'm having coffee with them, and that is a miracle. Jews and Arabs together. And, and, and the Bible said that that inner wall of partition, God has removed. And there's neither Jew nor Greek, nor Muslim, nor Arab. And there's one new man in Christ Jesus. And... uh Sitting with this man, he's just such this Arab believer come out of Islam. He is such a radical believer. And he feels God's called him back into to, to minister amongst the Muslim people. And he used this word, image bearer. And it's I can't remember anything else he said after that, because I just God gripped my heart. And so I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be uh an image bearer tonight. And there's a scripture in John chapter thirteen. And verse 35, Jesus speaking, and he says, By this, by this, not these, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this. You know, in Jesus' day when he taught it, and I want to speak a little bit about what it means to be a disciple in a first century culture. But in Jesus' day, there were many rabbis and there were many disciples. And uh, part of the culture was for these teachers, these rabbis, to gather around them, those who would follow them and understand what they were teaching and their doctrine. And Jesus made this 
very clear statement. He says, by this all people will know that you are Jesus, my disciples. By this one thing, that you have love for one another. Agape, you've got the self-creating love, the God love for one another. And that was preceded by the, the, and that's John John 13, 35. 34 said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now that is heavy. Amen? How you got to love one another? Yeah, we get that. And they said, this is a commandment. This is a new commandment I'm giving you that you love, not just love one another, you love one another the same way that I have so perfectly loved you. You're also to love one another. So in first century um, discipleship, three or four things. One, a disciple was to imitate the, the teacher, the rabbi that they followed. They learned the stories that the teacher told. They learned to eat the foods that the teacher told them to eat. They learned to give charity the way the teacher gave charity. They learned to pray the way the teacher prayed, fast the way the teacher fasted, obey the commands of God the way the, the uh, teacher the, uh, did it, and to follow all uh, the, the teachings of their teacher. It was um, an incredible imitation, do what I do. That's what it means to be a first century disciple. And so when we read scripture about discipleship, I think it gets a little bit lost in our culture. But it's imitate, number one. Number two, it was to honor your teacher. In fact, they say that the teacher was to be accorded higher honor than the birth father. Because your birth father brought you into this world, but the teacher brings you into the next world. So Jesus was saying, if you, you, you want to be one of my disciples, one, you've got to imitate me. Do exactly what I do. Go where I go, talk the way I talk, walk the way I walk, eat what I eat, pray the way I pray. That's why the disciples said, teach us to pray the way you pray. It's a discipleship thing. It's this image-bearing language. And I want to say, folks, I want to throw this out as a challenge because it's challenged me incredibly. It's one of those things, this image-bearing thing that I continually hold up to my life. It's almost like this plumb line that a builder would use to build. And this thing of image-bearing, I'm saying, God, how did I, how did I bear your image in that meeting tonight? In the driving my car, how did I bear your image in the traffic today? Not was I a good Christian. Did I bear your image? In the meetings, in my family, with my dealing with my wife or my kids, or in the boardroom, was I, did I bear the image of Jesus? Did I say what he says? Did I say it the way he said it? Did I, did I behave? Did I love the way he loves? It's this incredibly practical teaching, folks. And I want to say it's got lost in Christianity. It's got watered down. And we end up following our guru more than we follow Jesus. And we start, uh, anyway, I'll get on to some of that later. One, imitate. Two, honor. Number three, it was to reflect. Luke 6 and verse 40. Jesus said this, Every disciple fully trained will be like 
his teacher. You will reflect everything that your teacher has done. There was one distinction Jesus made when he was teaching about disciple making. And it was we are not to raise up disciples unto ourselves. And he says this in Matthew 23 verse 8. You are not to be called rabbi or teacher. For you have one master and you're all brothers. You're not to call anyone on earth father because you have one father and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher because you have one teacher and he is Messiah. And he's still alive. Amen. So our job is to raise up image bearers, disciples, just like him. And we've got to model that ourselves. We're to be, uh, this prophecy, this really it's a prophecy of us, of, of scripture for us to be conformed to his image. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Those whom he foreknew, the Bible says, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is not a hit or miss thing. And so as I, as I talk through a little bit there, I want to go through seven things that I see in scripture. We'll get there in a short while. I won't be long tonight. I know it's a midweek meeting. Thank you for coming out. Most of you don't know who we are. <laughs> but I want, as I speak tonight, I want you not to think about your husband or your wife or your friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your neighbor or my rebellious someone who's back home and should have been here tonight. I want you to take the image of this and, and measure it up against yourself. How am I doing? Have I borne the image of God in my life today? And not just today, but ongoingly. Are people able readily? And it ought to be that way, folks. And I want to say Australia is desperate to see the image of Jesus in you and me. Desperate. They've had enough of Christianity, a, a kind of watered-down version, or a cut-paste, that place, yeah, we know they're from that church because of, this is the way they dress or they look or they smell. People want to see the image of Jesus in you and me. Desperate. And it's prophesied. Whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. My question challenges whose image do people see in you? Acts chapter 19 verse 11, if you want to go there very quickly with me. Bible says, That God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. How many want to see extraordinary miracles? How many want to see ordinary miracles? I do. And extraordinary ones. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists under undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, high priest, 
uh, were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. That word recognize means I comprehend or I'm acquainted with. Or I know and I understand. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I comprehend. Paul, I recognize. Why? Because exactly the same thing that Jesus was doing, Paul was doing. Extraordinary miracles were happening through this this person. Cloths were taken that had touched his skin and people were getting healed and set free from demons. He bore the image of Jesus. And the demonic screamed out, Jesus we know and Paul we recognize. I wonder what the demons in Australia are saying tonight. I mean, you know, there are demons in Australia. It's not your husband. It could be. (laughs) Or your wife. There's a spirit world that is looking for the image of Jesus and recognize and fear the image of Jesus in you and I. They don't fear you and I, but they fear Jesus in you and I. And we, my challenge today is what image are people seeing in you? In everything that you do. I, uh, we, we had the great privilege of working with an evangelist called Rana Bonka for a number of years. We traveled much of the African continent with him. And uh, he tells a story of walking into a music shop uh, many years back uh, with one of his worship uh, directors. And they wanted to get a new keyboard. So they walked into the, the shop and uh, he said as they walked in, there was this salesman kind of leaning up against the, the doorpost, smoking a cigarette. Um, and so they walked past him casually and went back to the, where the keyboards were and he was busy looking around and he said, suddenly this salesman who just moments before had, had a, what he calls the, the devil's macaroni hanging out of his lips, he said, suddenly he's standing before him, white-faced, bugged-out eyes, and uh, he turns around and sees him, and, and he, he's absolutely white, white as a sheet. And he, and he looks at him, and this man looks at, at Bonka, and he said, Sir, he said, I see Jesus in your eyes. What is the image that people see in you? And Reinhardt said as soon as he heard that, he thought, this is this sounds blasphemous. And as he did, he said, the Spirit of God said, no, no, this is true. He said, I live inside of you. And he said, the eyes are the window of the soul. He said, when he was looking in, I was looking out. He saw me in you. And the same thing happened to me in a wool shop, which and I won't bore you with the details of what that is. But I want to say, folks, today there just seems to be so much counterfeit Christianity, camouflaged Christianity. Reinhardt again talks about the, I may have used the illustration here before, but he talks about the submarine Christian. You've heard of a submarine Christian? He said, submarine Christian rises from the depths at 11.59 p.m. on Saturday night. Glug, 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 glug. Been cruising the depth, deepest depths. Glug, 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 he says, they rise, and up the periscope comes. And one minute past 12, Sunday morning, there you find them in church, 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They sing like the angels. They possibly pray in tongues and uh, do all the Christianese and all the Christian stuff. But 12.01, Monday morning, glug, 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 down periscope, down they go again. For the rest of the week, cruising, he says, at depths, nobody knows they're there. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about the image of Jesus, being an image bearer. And the scriptures speak about two images. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45. Paul writing and he says, So it is written, The first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. I desire... Uh, sorry, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. These two million images, the image of the earthly man, modeled after first Adam. We're born, what is the image of the earthly man? Three things, human, flesh, and blood. Born of the flesh, the scripture says. Number two, sinful. Sin pervades all of first Adam. And mortal, number three. Death reigns in us as well as over us. As does corruption and disease and pain and decay and imperfection. We bore the image of the earthly man. First Adam. And when we come to Christ, the transition to conformation begins as we become born again. And the Bible says there's a, a, a number of processes that happen. Justification is one of them. Since we have been justified by faith, Paul says, we have peace with God. Then we are, Bible says, sanctified, which is an ongoing process of becoming like him. Hebrews 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, the writer of Hebrews says, he has perfected for all time those who are being made holy or being sanctified. And that's a process of us just um, casting off this first Adam, the likeness of first Adam. And then, of course, there's this transformation that happens. Much of it is through the renewing of the mind, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and also Romans 6 and verse 11. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. It's an accounting word. You've been born again. You've been justified by Christ through grace. And so then we begin to take on the image then of this, what is described as the heavenly man, who is divine. And this lost image, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in a moment, is being restored because we become partakers of his divine nature. Instead of being uh, human, we are taking on divine nature. Instead of being sinners, we take on his holiness. And instead of being mortal, we begin to reflect something of the eternal life and the immortal. 
And that, of course, is completed when Jesus comes again. So let me give you these seven quick things. We should be done in 15 minutes or so. Seven things that sum up this image bearer that you and I need to be reflecting. Number one, this image was designed. Point one, image is designed. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And that Hebrew word means to be in the resemblance of or representative figure of. This is part of God's crowning creation, you and I, the human race. And we were here to represent him by the plan of God. Point number two, this image was to be dispersed. The purpose was to fill the earth, Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This great commission, this image bearer, man made in Genesis according to the image of God, God wanted all across the earth. And can I say this tonight? Nothing has changed. And we, the church, through Matthew 28, and we'll talk a little bit more about that over the weekend, is why I believe and am committed to planting churches all over the world. Because God wants His image to be seen all across the world. We're the ones who carry His glory. And the Bible says, God speaking, He swears by Himself because there's no one higher to swear by. He said, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How is that possible? I believe part of it, and maybe most of it, is through you and I. We are the image bearers. We carry the glory. We are the tabernacle of God. And we are to reflect His glory across the earth. My question, my challenge to you tonight. How are you doing? How are you doing? Do people see the glory of God in you and on you? And so I'm committed, folks, to church planning. I think it's the most effective way because we're not called to make converts. We're called to make image bearers. We're called to make disciples. And I believe that's a lifelong journey. I've been saved for four decades now. And uh, I want to say that it's a lifelong process. This putting off and putting on, putting off the old man, putting on the new. Continually, I want, the Bible says, from glory to glory, we are being transformed into His likeness, His image. There ought to be an ever-increasing glory, not an ever-diminishing glory. Again, I get around churches, we have this incredible privilege of, of being in, this year I've been in, uh, I think, t- ten nations already. And uh, I'm seeing such great things that God is doing, but I'm also so stirred and so challenged by some very wishy-washy, wussy Christians in churches who've just, the, the, the image of God, these, these image bearers as we're called to be, just seemed so camouflaged. They seem to be so distracted. They seem to be so uh, um, 
not reflecting an increased glory in and, on, and through their lives. We've got to redeem this thing, folks. One at a time. It's going to start with you. We, I, I, I can preach to everyone else and, and me. Paul said, it's, I don't want to be disqualified myself. I want to preach to others. Shemaine was reading it earlier during the worship thing. I want to run this race and finish it. Amen? I don't want to be disqualified. And, and Paul again and again talks about being shipwrecked and straying and wandering. And that's not anything like following and mimicking and copying and imitating at all. Number three, this image that was designed to cause to be dispersed became distorted. Number three, this is the problem. Marred through the fall, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you, you shall surely eat of the tree uh, of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day in which you eat it, you shall surely die. And we were talking, maybe it was with Ben today, um, and I think it's Bill Johnson who talks about the fact that God puts a tree in your life continually, in your garden. He's, there's always a tree of decision-making because he doesn't want robots. Why doesn't God create this? Well, he did. He created this perfect garden. He said, you can eat of all the trees, but not on that one because he's given us the free will. And he's wanting us to make good choices. And so what is the tree that he put in your garden tonight? Make a good choice. Make a good decision based on the fact that I want to be an image bearer. Because through this bad choice, through this first Adam, all of the image of God through humanity became distorted. That leads to my fourth point. That's why Jesus had to come. And he became this new prototype, this last Adam, as the Bible describes him, so that he again could display what the image of God looks like. Jesus says in John 14 and verse 9, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And there ought to be this image stamped on the inside of you and I, but also displayed on the outside. Paul says in Romans 2 verse 28, a person is a Jew not because he is outwardly a Jew, through circumcision which is physical. A person is a Jew who is one inwardly. The circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. It's not just about this quiet, inward change that I, or decision I make. It ought to be displayed from the outside, inside out. And that's what Jesus came to do. It's interesting, point five, that it's the image of God that the devil wants darkened. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from what? 
from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We prayed this prayer of uh, all of our friends and family that we had and had contact with at one stage. We read this, we were praying for them, we were doing an outreach in our church, and Shaman and I began to make a list of those, kind of, we called it our hit list, our prayer hit list. Be good for you to have one. And we began praying for these people and fasting for them. And this was the prayer that we prayed, that the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see, they're unable to see the glory of the gospel of, of the, the image of Christ. They can't see it. And so we began to say, well, that, that's why we're battling when we try and speak to these individuals about Jesus. And so we began praying and, and exercising authority and saying, uh, we command the enemy, this, this almost this spirit that has blinded the minds of John and Mary and Peter and Paul. We command that that veil be lifted so that they can see the glory of the gospel in Jesus, who is the image of God. And one after another, in a period of about two weeks, two or three weeks, every single one of them came to Christ. Everyone had to hear the gospel. And uh, Joy have told some of these stories on some of our trips before. But uh, the most dramatic one, we had, all of them were dramatic because they got saved. And were amazing. But the one was a uh, shaman's cousin. He was about 20 years old. Real rebel. And he had had some Christian upbringing. He had kind of heard about the gospel. But he was one of the guys on our, our prayer hit list. And so we began praying, God, his name was Paul. We said, God, would you just uh, reveal yourself to, to, to this young man, Paul? Would, we pray that that, that veil, the, the enemy who's come to put this veil over his mind so he can't see it or understand the gospel. We pray that that is lifted so that when he sees and when he hears, he will understand. That's what our prayer. And one night we were living in a like a camper. We were part of this mission organization, so we we were like gypsies for Jesus. We lived in a caravan. You know caravan? You understand caravan here? Some people don't know what a caravan is. We lived in a caravan for the first year and a half of our marriage. And uh, we're sitting down having spaghetti, I think it was, for a meal in our tiny little kitchen. It was great. You didn't have to move far for anything. You're kind of from the kitchen. <laughs> now we're in the, we're in the wash-up place, and now we're in the bedroom. It was amazing. <laughs> Not a lot of cleaning up to do. And uh, we're, just, we're, just, we're just sitting like your little Volkswagen. And uh, we're just sitting down having our meal. And as we just, we just sat down. We had a bang on the, on the caravan door. And uh, I, we're not expecting anyone. It's 7 o'clock at night. I opened the door, and there's this young man, Paul. Uh, we knew we'd been praying for him. He didn't. So this is about a week into our prayer. And there he was also, kind of ashen-faced, standing there. So I said, what a surprise. <laughs> Hi. And... Uh, he didn't move. So I kind of said, well, come in. There's space for one more. <laughs> Only. 
And so we invited him in and we kind of squeezed him in and there was enough left over for him to have a plate of spaghetti with us. And uh, so we quickly gobbled it down and I, I looked at him and I said, why are you here, Paul? And he said, you're not going to believe this. Try us. He said, as I was driving overhead, because we lived under a highway, it sounds kind of hobo-ish, but we lived in a caravan under a highway. <laughs> well, the highway came over our property. He said, as I got exactly over here, he said, I heard an audible voice. And it said this, if you don't go and see Mike and Charmaine tonight, you won't arrive home alive. That's why he was ashen-faced. Because he, he heard something. And the, there was an exit, as he came over us, there was an first exit he came off, there he's standing. He said, I don't know why I'm here. We said, we do. And we shared this gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And he instantly, weeping over his empty bowl of spaghetti, received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. One month later, they found him dead on the side of a railway line. Yeah, 20 something year old, going in the army. He was very suspicious. We don't know how. But we were able to go to his mom at the funeral and say, he's with Jesus tonight. There was the supernatural encounter. Folks, I want to say, the enemy wants to veil and to cloud your witness and my witness. And we've got to pray. And, we, and I've got so many amazing stories to tell you about that. Number six. This image ought to be demonstrated or portrayed in your life and in my life. And Paul is able to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Be imitators of me. Same word. Mimic me. Do exactly. This is image bearer. This is discipleship language. Exactly what I do, you do, because exactly what I'm doing, I'm watching Jesus do. I'm a disciple of Jesus, so you can mimic me, because I'm mimicking him. Again, my challenge to you, Australia Church, is how you're doing. Are you able to say everything I do, everything I say, the way I say it, do it, because I'm doing exactly what Jesus is doing. This is the church that Jesus wants to build. Amen? When Jesus said, go and make disciples, he's saying, go and make image bearers. All over the world. I don't want bottoms on seats in a church. I want image bearers. I want 50 or 100 or 10,000 people to go out from our meetings of training and equipping, going out and displaying the image of Jesus all over the place. In the mom's meetings, in the grocery stores, in the boardrooms, on the, the footy fields, wherever it is you are, you cannot help but mimic the image of Jesus in what you say and how you say it and what you do. And I don't know the Church of Australia very well, but I'm guessing that this is not happening too well. Because this is true all over the world. And it's true in Dubai, where I am. And 
And I'm challenging myself in this. How did I do today, Jesus? We used to sing a song many, many years ago. And it was this, I see Jesus in your eyes. And it makes me love him. I hear Jesus in your voice. And I know he cares. I feel Jesus in your touch. And it makes me listen. And I trust you with my love because you're his. I see him in you. How many know that song? Nobody must be an old. (laughs) Shemaine does. It's a beautiful song. We should sing it again. I see Jesus in your eyes and it makes me love him. I want to say, folks, that's how it is. That's it. That's what being a disciple means. I hear Jesus in your voice. And I know he cares. Does your neighbor. Does your work colleague. What is it about you? Does it the cigarette smoking salesman in the, in the music shop? Has he seen Jesus in your eyes? This Hindu guy in the wool shop where Shaman was shopping on a Monday, which is a pastor's day off. And I'm being dragged through a wool shop. A wool shop. Ladies, never take your husbands to wool shops. <laughs> it all looks the same to me. Five million different barrel bold things of wool. What should I pick? That one. (laughs) They all look the same to me. But in that shop, this Hindu or Muslim, I don't know what faith he was, says the same thing. I see Jesus in your eyes. I'm like, wow. My last point linked to this image demonstrated. Number seven, image duplicated. Represented in you and I through a number of different things very quickly. Are we good with time? What time do you want to... (laughs) Ask Brad, that's really dangerous. I have lots to say. Much led up for many years to come. But very quickly, we'll be done in 10 minutes, okay? 8.15, we'll be done. Someone blow the hood out. 8.15, is that good? 8.30? Do I hear 8.45, 8.45, 8.45, 8.45, 8.45, 8.45? Oh, yeah, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9. <laughs> oh, no, 8.15, we'll be done, okay? Unless Jesus pitches. Number one, how do we represent this? One. Through instruction. It says in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and with all your might. That's still the greatest command. Jesus said, this is how you're going to know your Jesus followers. Because of this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, not some of your heart. 
And these words I command you today shall be in your heart and you shall teach them. The Hebrew word teach there is to stamp. Stamp it. Bang. Stamp it on your children. Teach them to your children. And you talk with them and you sit with them and you walk with them and you lie with them and when you rise and bind them as a sign on your hand. Teach it. And the, the idea there is through repetition, stamping, stamping, stamping. Start with your kids. We want to see a generation redeemed who have the stamp of the image of God on them. Because parents have been diligent, one, to model it in their own lives, but also to teach, to stamp through repetition. The image of God, the love of God, the Lord your God is one God. Number two, through divine instruction, number one, through divine glory, number two. That verse I quoted earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. We all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Is that true of you and I? Is there an ever-increasing glory from a greater and greater and sharper and sharper image of Jesus month after month and year after year? Are we able to look back and take stock of my life and saying I'm more like Jesus today than I was two months ago? Two years ago. I think it's such a practical building line in our lives. Image bearers. Number three, through divine righteousness. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in our lives. We are able to reflect His righteousness in us. Number four, through divine nature. Having become partakers through salvation of his divine nature. Number five, through divine wisdom. And I see men and women making such un-Christians, such unwise decisions. And I think, where is the image of God? The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. How is it that Christians are making such bad decisions? Why is this so important? Because we need to train. The Bible says we we have our senses trained through use. book of Hebrews says, our seeing, our hearing, our touching, our tasting, and our smelling. All of these senses that God has given to our natural people, we have in the Spirit. We're able to see and touch and smell and taste in the Spirit. Are we training and honing our senses to discern these things? Two more. We reflect Him or represent Him through divine fire. And I heard someone say this, and I agree 100%. Christians can be forgiven almost anything except not being zealous for Jesus. The Bible describes God in so many ways. Our God, it says, Hebrews 12 verse 28, 
Our God is a consuming fire. And I get with Christians this only, yeah, yeah, it's okay. We, we, we're going on this apostolical mission trip to somewhere. Nah, too hard. What are the beds like? Is there ACs? We've got to know. We go where the air conditioners are. Or what's the food like? Or how long is the flight? And I'm thinking, those are the wrong questions. What is God saying? What is Jesus doing? What is this fire? God is a consuming fire. Where is this fire? If we're going to reflect the image of God, there's got to be fire in our hearts. The Bible says he baptizes us with fire. Luke 3, 16. John said, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming after me who's mightier than I am, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I remember getting baptized. I, I grew up going to a Baptist church in my whole kind of early life. And I tried to be a good Christian, and it was, I was hopeless. I was the most religious, miserable person to be with because I was trying to do this impossible work in my own strength. And I had a love for God, but I was a hopeless disciple. And uh, then I wandered off. I backslid really badly with my military service, and, and for a number of years just, real prodigal living. But I remember the, the moment I got born again in my early 20s, I was in, uh, in South Africa, in a city in South Africa, and I had this encounter with God. All I wanted to do was be filled with His Spirit. I was taught and trained that being filled with the Holy Spirit is done when you receive Christ. I was taught that praying in tongues was the language of the devil. And as a friend of mine said, he said, that's amazing. He said, I served the devil for 25 years. I never spoke in tongues. How is that the devil's language? I was a real disciple of the devil. I never spoke in Anyway, so I, I, I said the same thing. And I, but the moment I got born again, I, I, uh, I wanted to be, I, I wanted to find someone with a hairy hand to lay on me. Anybody, somebody. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I want, I want this, this that I read about. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I went to a Methodist, a Methodist camp with my mom to meet some family. And uh, the only guy, he was, a, he was a Pentecostal missionary who fixed roofs. Thank God for him. I think he was an angel of the Lord. Because this was a dry place, spiritually. And we all ate together. And the first time we were sitting around, my mom still was a staunch Baptist. But she was so excited that I'd found Jesus that she came, I dragged her to some of the churches I, I went to. And we're sitting around having a meal together and, and this guy starts talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And my ears, are, I'm like an elephant. And uh, there's about 15 of us at this big table and I, I just, I'm desperate to leap across the, the table and say, put that big fat hairy hand on your, I want this fire. And, uh, Finally, he shut up talking and eating. And we went outside. It was middle of the bush. And, and I, I said to him, please, would you pray for me? He said, that's fine. And a whole long story around that. But anyway, I say, we go into his little mud hut rendezvous with my mom. There's my mom and me, her only son, her only begotten son. 
who hates anything charismaniac at all. And uh, she's in this tiny little room with, with her beloved son. There's her and there's this crazy, wild-eyed, roof-fixing missionary. And he does. He puts his big, fat, hairy hand on me. And I, and, and I get filled with the, the Holy Spirit of God. And my mom is right there. <laughs> she, she's, she's seeing something happening, which is throwing her theology completely out of the rondavel. But I remember walking out of that and going to my, my little rondavel, and I stood for about an hour in front of the mirror, looking at this image of me. And all I could say is, I've got the fire. I have the fire. There was this fire in my belly, the fire of God, which I had, I tried to walk in and tried to experience, but it just hadn't worked for me for all my upbringing. He baptizes with fire. He judges with fire. He answers by fire. He commissions by fire. The Bible says in Jeremiah, his word is a fire. I shut up in my, I can't keep it in. Sounds like a song. I can't keep it in. I gotta let it out. As Christians, folks, how is the fire of God? We're talking about the image of God. I closed with this divine presence. Divine presence. I may have mentioned this last time I was here. I've been reading a little bit of Smith Wigglesworth. He was an uneducated, he couldn't read or write until he was over 40 years old. And God called him and filled him with the Holy Spirit of God. And he says this, he said, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than what you see. And I read one of the examples where, where Wigglesworth walked into it, he, he, he knew this presence of God. I'm a thousand times bigger than what you see. And it said one day, he said, I walked into this coach, into this railway coach. And he said, I stood there. And he said, I saw two gentlemen dressed in suits sitting kind of across from me. And he just stood there. And he said, these men, after about five minutes, began crying out. They said this, you convince me of sin. You convince me. Of sin, and they said they fell on their knees and repented and received Jesus as, as their Lord. And he said within another five minutes, he said the whole carriage were on their knees, crying out to God. Folks, the image of God, image bearers, how is it that you're doing and I'm doing? And I'm going to close if I can pray. Is that Okay. What image do you see in yourself? Number one, do you see the image of God in yourself? And I, I've left out a whole bunch of stuff, but if you, when you, when you start reading the Bible, is this is the mirror of God's word? Are you seeing yourself reflected in the word? Are you seeing Jesus? In everything you say, in everything you do, in the way you say it, in the way you do it, and how you follow him. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you an image bearer of Jesus? Number one. Number two, what do people see? What did people see today? 
in your life, in my life. Won't you please stand? I'm not sure how you do it here. But folks, when, when, when the word of God is preached, I think it's Paul who said this, you did not receive the word from me, but you received it from what it, what it was. It is the word of God. When the word of God, when God is speaking, he demands a response. His word demands a response. It's not good enough for us to hear God speak and then to ignore him. I've heard that before. I know that stuff. I read that verse before. Why don't you just close your eyes? Just to be focused, not to be religious. Holy Spirit of God, we, we've welcomed you here tonight in, in praise and in worship. We thank you for your presence. I thank you for the presence, your presence in my own life. The anointing of God that you've put on my life to bring your word. It's such an incredible honor, such an incredible privilege. But I do thank you for your presence in this room. And I felt prompted and led to share this word around being an, an image bearer, a disciple who walk just like Jesus and who talk just like Jesus and who love just like Jesus. And who are on fire just like Jesus. And who are commissioned just like Jesus. That the Father has sent me, I send you. We are sent just like Jesus. And Father, I pray as we, we close out this meeting tonight, we're really honest with ourselves and we are able to look, not with any sense of, there's no condemnation, for those in Christ, it's not a condemning word. But in some ways, it's a reality check. For it. Forget my neighbor. This is about me and you, Lord, doing business. How is the image of God in my life? How accurately did I reflect you today? I do believe that in the church so many other images are reflected. I do believe that in the church there are so many masks on our lives and people are seeing everything but the image of Jesus. Where it's so often like that submarine Christian or that camouflage Christian. I don't know why. Ashamed of, apologizing for, instead of saying, mimic me, imitate me. How is the fire of God in my life? 
I do want to pray tonight as we close out, if that's okay. If the, the leader's here tonight, I do want to pray just for a, a, a touch of God, for a stamp of God on people's lives. If somehow, for some reason, there's some other mask other than Jesus' mask, I feel like there needs to be a, an unmasking tonight. My prayer, my desire out of tonight's meeting would be that we leave this building reflecting the image of God in a, with, with an unveiled face. Lift up the veil, take off the veil, take off the mask, and let the power of God and let the glory of God and the presence of God and all the other things I spoke about, let that be what is seen, let that be what is heard. Let the, let the fire of God be kindled again in my heart and in my life. God, let there be zeal like Jesus for my Father's house has consumed me. So Holy Spirit, I ask you tonight, just in a moment or two, it's not going to take a long time, just in a moment or two, why don't you ask the Spirit of God? What is it, Lord, in my life that maybe is, is camouflaging this superb image of Jesus? What decision have I made, good or bad, that has that has marred the image of Jesus in my life? If the fire of God is not burning in full strength, why? He is a consuming fire. His word ought to be a fire that is uncontainable, shut up in my bones. I cannot keep it keep it in. The love of God is such a fire in my life. It's by this that all men will know that you are, you're following me. You bear my image because you love one another just, just the same as I have loved you. What is it, Holy Spirit? What is the mask? And I want to, I want to remove the mask. I want to, I want to reflect this, this unveiled glory of Jesus in the Gold Coast. I want my husband, I want my wife, I want my kids, my parents, I want my colleagues, work colleagues to see this glory of Jesus in my life. I want the shopkeeper, the unsaved, the Muslim, the Hindu, to see the glory of God in me. To hear Jesus in my voice, to feel Jesus in my touch. God, would you just unmask me this, this tonight? I want to lay these things down. I want to allow this fire of God to be rekindled in me. And, and folks, if that's you, why don't you quickly come to the front? 
I just very quickly want to lay my hand upon you and pray. If there's a prophetic word, Shemaine and I and maybe some of the others will pray. But if there's something you want ignited, there's something you want removed tonight, just in an act of faith, step out from your comfort zone. That's why we do this. There's no religious thing around it. It's just do something. To say, God, I'm, I'm not satisfied with the status quo. I want people to see Jesus in my eyes. To hear Jesus in my voice. To know the love of Jesus through me. And they know I'm a follower of Jesus. Just intuitively. Just because they're around you. Like Wigglesworth, a thousand times bigger on the inside. Father, I want to pray tonight. You just say, come, Holy Spirit of God. I hope I reflect, represented you well tonight, Lord, in what you wanted to say. Father, where there's been veils and where there's been marks, I want to pray tonight in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you just cause these masks to come off. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I just have a picture, folks, of a, of a really cloudy window, like a dusted or steamed up, foggy window. And I just see this big hand just, just wiping and, and cleaning. And I, f- I feel something of a word like, like God has called you to be a lighthouse. And there's been a, a fogging and there's been a clouding and there's been a dusting over for, for ages. That's what the, the sense is, that it's been for ages that you've just not tended to the mirror of your soul. And God is wanting to, to come and clean away and wipe away just some of the, the crud and some of the dirt and some of the dust, some of the murkiness just wants to come and wipe and, and wash and cleanse you. Even with the water of the Word tonight, it's come and washed you and cleansed you. Because God says, I'm, I want you to shine with a greater and greater wattage. Because I've placed, placed you, says the Lord, I've placed you like a lighthouse in this very stormy waters of this time and this dispensation, I've caused you to be and called you to be a lighthouse that is shining forth my glory and the radiance of my, my purpose and my being. And, and you are to be, like Ezekiel said, you are to be a voice crying out and warning of the dangers and, and, and of the perils. But you've been so clouded over and so fogged up and maybe distracted from the very purpose God says I've called you to be. I've called you to be lighthouses in the darkness. So I feel like the Lord, the word of the Lord is for you to, is to begin to shine. Begin to reflect that inner glory and inner glow of the beauty. My beauty. My presence. 
feel like God wants to bring some healing. You've been so wounded. It's like you've become so concerned with the wound and so aware of the pain and so aware of these things. God says you've become distracted in your own discomfort. And I want to just speak healing to you tonight in Jesus' name. Just a supernatural impartation of healing. Right now, right now, Jesus, I'm asking you just to pour in the oil and the wine of your anointing into hurts right now. Those things that are causing us to shine, us to, to not to shine with the glory and the radiance of the, of thy Father. And I'm asking you to come tonight. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And so Holy Spirit, just come, I pray, and do what you need to do. In the many manifold ways that you want to do, cleaning, cleansing, washing, healing, restoring, fire, to come by the Spirit of God. I want to thank you tonight, Father, to do what only you're able to do. In Jesus' name, just blow away the fog. Blowing away the mist. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I didn't know Mike was going to share about the lighthouse, but I was on my way up to share what God has showed me, and I had the same picture of a lighthouse. And um, But I had a picture of, of ships at sea, and a real stormy, it was, it was in a storm, and there were ships out there, and the lighthouse was was off, it wasn't burning. And I just feel that God is saying to you that there's others that need rescuing. It's not about you. It's like you sitting in the lighthouse and you're warm and you're comfortable and you haven't turned on the light. And I just feel God is saying there's others dying out there and they, you are the, you have the ability in you to save them. And it's not about you. It's like you're so concerned or you're just worried about yourself. It's all about me and my comfort zone. And the Lord is saying to you, guys, just, it's so easy. Just press that button. Press the button and things will change. It's as easy as that. Press the button because he's made you for others. It's not about you. It's about him. Really, it's about Christ. It's not about yourselves. Too consumed with yourself, God says, no, it's about me. It's about me and what I want to do through you. So I just feel, honestly, if you would just allow God to just turn on that button, and it's up to you to do that today. Turn it on. Shine for him. So just fan into flame right now. If you're able to raise your hands, won't you do that? Holy Spirit, we stand here. We're submitted to you. All of us want the fire. We want this fire of the glory of God. You said you would baptize us in the water and with fire. And I ask you right now that the fire of the Spirit of God would come. Just consume the dross. Come and consume all the, the, the excess. Come and consume all the the garbage, would you come and consume all the hurt? 
would you come and just consume it, Lord? Just like a bonfire of your glory and a bonfire just burning away all the rubble. So that we would be able to shine, Lord, with the radiance of your glory tonight. Let the love of God so shine in my heart. Let the love of God be so evident in my life and in the way I speak. Oh God, Australia needs to see the light of the glory of the gospel. In the face of Jesus, through us. Through us. Through me. And we stand here tonight, Lord, saying, fill us again with your glory. Fill us again with your, your, uh, your, the, the image and the, and the fire within us, Lord. The oil that would cause us to burn with a greater and greater intensity. It's the oil of your anointing, Lord, tonight, I pray. Spirit of God. Spirit of God. We honor you tonight, Lord. We bear your image. What an incredible honor. I bear the image of Jesus. I bear his image. No more submarine Christians, Lord. We'll not cruise at any depth. We say, Father, we come to the surface and we're going to shine for Jesus in a dark world. Folks, I feel like as you begin to shine, is this prophetic word which has come now twice tonight. God is establishing something and speaking to you that as you begin to shine with his light, I do believe you're going to start to see people saved and start to see people healed, even family members and work colleagues. And friends around you, it's going to be just like Shemaine and I saw as we begin to pray and as we begin to shine for Jesus all around us, people will come into the light. I'm reminded of the word to Paul. God said to him that I've called you to shine. Those who sit in darkness have seen a great light. And I've called you to come and turn people from darkness, from serving Satan to the power of God. I've called you to shine and, and, and bring people in darkness who are who without knowledge, without a understanding, who have never come, come through the doors of a church, but they see you every day. And I want to speak through you and I want to shine through you, says the Lord. And I want you to love them with my love. And I want you to touch them with my compassion. And I want you to shine with my glory, says the Lord. Would you do that for me? Will you be that for me? So Father, I ask you seal the work that you've started to do tonight. May we not go home and just be distracted again and, and tomorrow's just same old, same old. I pray like you've done with me, God, may this plumb line called the image of God, image bearer, 
Maybe you need to write it on your fridge or on your mirror. Or dangle it off your dashboard. Being an image bearer for Jesus. And may we reflect you. May we be these disciples. These Christ-like ones. All across the Gold Coast and beyond. And I believe we're going to hear testimony after testimony. May it be extraordinary miracles through our hands. People are convicted of sin just because we stand in their presence. They come to Christ because just we've shifted something by being there. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you so much, Mike and Charmaine. You know, if